You're listening to The Hungry Soul with Rachel Foy, covering all topics from spirituality, mindset work, beliefs, relationships, food, body image, business, money, self-expression, and more, helping you become a soul-fed woman. Hello there, gorgeous, and welcome to episode 81 of The Hungry Soul podcast with your host, Rachel Foy. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you happen to be tuning in right now. It's really, really awesome to have you here. So thank you for taking a bit of time out of your day to join us here on The Hungry Soul because we've got some awesome conversations, we've got fabulous guests, and we've just got lots of useful advice really and support for anybody right now who feels that their soul is hungry for more. Maybe you are food obsessed, maybe you don't like yourself, maybe you're trying to lose weight, maybe you're just feeling a bit bleh about things. And this is the whole point of what The Hungry Soul is all about, is to help you to start awakening your truth, to help you start awakening your own soul-fed woman. And it's an absolute delight to have you here. So before I introduce to you our fabulous guest for today, I want to just give you a quick um, a quick lowdown about what's been going on over here at Soulfed Woman HQ. It's been a little bit mental, to be honest. I'm kind of saying it with a big smile on my face, but honestly, the last few weeks have been mad because you may have heard, or maybe you haven't, and if you haven't, I'm about to tell you, the Hungry Soul book has now been published. Woohoo! It's now available. It's available in the online space. You can go and find it in many, many places, such as Amazon and Barnes and Noble and Indigo Books, etc. So if you want to grab a copy of The Hungry Soul, which teaches you the seven steps on how you can actually start helping yourself overcome emotional eating, binge eating and food obsession. And I'll give you a clue. It's not really about the food stuff. It's more about helping you understand that you are already amazing then you can head over to soulfedwoman.com forward slash book where you'll find all the information, how you can get the book yourself. And also the book includes £149 worth of free stuff. So there's loads of extra resources that come with the book when you get a copy, such as a workshop, there's some little downloadable worksheets, there's some meditations, you get access to our members area, which is fabulous. So go and grab yourself a copy get stuck in and don't forget to let me know how you find it, which is always exciting to hear. Right then, so are you ready for today's guest? We've got an awesome lady who spent a bit of time with me not too long ago and I actually reached out to um, to Isaiah and I asked her whether she would come and talk to us about all things to do with, with intimacy and relationships and sex and all the stuff that sometimes for many of us we kind of shy away from but they're actually really important conversations to have so I invited Isaiah on to come and have a chat with us. Now Isaiah McKimmy is a couples therapist, a sexologist and a tantra teacher and she's really passionate about helping people have loving relationships, deep intimacy and wholehearted sex. She's one of Australia's most qualified sex and relationship experts. She spent over a decade studying relationships, sex and intimacy and she's such an understanding, absolutely non-judgmental, compassionate woman and she's built her reputation on really getting the results that her clients are wanting. So she came on the show, we had a fab conversation, I know you're going to enjoy this one, so without further ado, here she is. And here she is, the gorgeous Asaya, good morning, good afternoon, hello. 
Hello, thank you so much for having me, Rachel. Oh, you're very welcome. I want to say thank you for coming on my show because actually without the guests, I don't have a show. So thank you for being here. Now, before we get stuck into this conversation, which I know is going to be of so, so use, so much use, so much of interest to everybody listening. Um, for anybody who's not yet come across you in the online space, do you want to give yourself a quick introduction as to who you are and what are you all about? Okay, um, great question to start with. So um, I am a couples therapist, a sexologist, a sex therapist, and a tantra teacher. So really what I'm all about is helping people create harmonious relationships, deep intimacy, and to have wholehearted sex. What a beautiful little summary there. There's so, there's so much we could talk about, isn't there, for the next sort of 30, 40 minutes. Um, but before we do, and I always ask my guests this because I'm assuming that this is your, like, it's your soul's work. It's your passion. Mm -hmm. I can see that you're super, super passionate, super lit up by the work that you're doing, as most mm -hmm. of my guests are. How did you get into this before we kind of start talking about it? Like, what's your background? How did you find yourself here? God, and that's such a, it's such a great question because there are so many times since I've started doing this work that I've questioned it. Oh my God, what am I doing in this field? It's often, it's hard to talk about. It's often, you know, people, um, you know, often won't reach out to me and I'm like, oh, what am I doing? Is this really the right thing for me? And, and I keep coming back to, my God, this is the right thing for me. This is my passion. This is what I love even though it's never what I imagined mm. I would be doing. So I finished um, a degree in environment um, in my early 20s. And coming towards the end of that degree, I kind of was feeling like, oh, this is not it for me. Although I care about the planet and the people on it and how they all interact, there was something that just didn't feel right for me about following a career down that path and just by chance uh, a couple of years earlier i had um kind of stumbled on a tantra workshop at a music festival that i was at and i don't even know if i knew what tantra was i've i've come to learn that it's a, a kind of yoga and meditation and a spiritual teaching which we often know in the west for its amazing benefits to our sex life and relationship and I actually fell in love with that practice really quickly and, um, and started to teach it because I loved it so much, still never thinking it would be a career for me. But as it happened, not long after I finished university, as I was kind of trying to find what I might do with myself in the world, a psychologist saw me teach a Tantra class and asked if I would come and work with his male clients experiencing sexual dysfunction to teach them the practical things that I had learned through Tantra. And that just opened my eyes to the professional possibilities in this area. But really importantly for me, it showed me how much sex and relationships and how much challenges in those areas can impact our whole lives. And, and conversely, I also realized that actually this was a way that I could help people. This was a way I could make real difference in people's lives, help them to be happier by helping them with their sex lives and relationships. So one thing led to another from there and I did a whole lot more training to make that possible to kind of um, 
you know, 10 years later, get to where I am today, where, where this is what I do. And I tend to work now with women and couples as opposed to men. I've kind of found that's my, that's my sweet spot. That's what's most fulfilling um, for me, but it has been a journey to get here. Oh my goodness. What a journey that's been. And I can see as you're obviously like talking about it, you can just see like this, this really is your thing, isn't it? I think when we find our thing, even though our head sometimes is saying, well, why are you doing this? You must be crazy. It's not what you should be doing. You can tell like it's, you're supposed to be doing this work. (laughs) Yes. Yes. It's such a, you know, given that it's something that we talk about so little in the world, when we, um, and we, we kind of mentioned this actually before we, um, we started recording the call in the interview that actually giving people permission to talk about this and to look at this in their lives can just make such a difference. It feels oh, like such an incredible honor for me to open the space and hold the space for people to look at what is so important and figural to our lives, but what we so often don't get the chance to talk about and look at and learn about. Absolutely. And I know that we're going to go into sort of the permission aspect of it, because I think this Mm -hmm. is something that, as, as you said, like as women in the Western world, particularly, we often, we still have this taboo around it, the shame around it. We don't talk about it, even though everybody's doing it but it's like oh we can't possibly talk about this topic it's not the right thing to do but before we do that I just wanted to um to ask you actually um, Asaya what what are your typical clients so in terms of the women that you work with and the couples that you see like what Mm. kind of issues do they have like what kind of problems if we want to label it as a problem like what kind of things would someone come to you about yeah so they come to me couples come to me with challenges like they're just feeling generally disconnected like they're you know life kind of got in the way and and they just feel like they're you know they're more like housemates or ships passing in the night and they're not sure how to find that connection and and the kind of excitement they used to have for their relationship or they've found that over the years some tension and resentments have built up or there's some reoccurring arguments or issues that they just can't seem to to figure out on their own and they're looking for a different perspective to, to help them through that. Um, and also um, having different desire levels for sex or one person, so one person wanting sex more than the other or one person not wanting sex very much at all. They're the kind of key issues for couples. Women um, often, they will come to me because they're looking for their oh, sense of desire and um, kind of sexual spark again. They might be feeling like, and very much like, like I did when I first discovered Tantra, that they've often been holding themselves back when it comes to sex and intimacy. And they, they just want to know what's possible in terms of enjoying themselves. Like they feel like they're missing out and they want to know what they can do to enjoy themselves more. Um, I also see women who struggle to reach orgasm, women who've perhaps never uh, had an orgasm, women who experience pain during sex, women who've experienced past sexual trauma, um, who might find that um, they're just not perhaps able to attract the kind of partner that they want as well. So it's really quite an array of um, both relationship challenges and, um, and sexual challenges or just wanting to make things better that I see people for. 
Yeah, you know, as you're talking, I'm kind of like listening and thinking about like my circle of friends and like, you know, the couples that we know and like, you know, myself and my clients. This is arguably a topic which actually affects probably most of us at some point in our life. And I've got two young-ish children. They're not babies anymore. But, you know, there was a time when I'd become a mum where this conversation like sex and intimacy and how I felt about myself and my relationship and my husband, like that changed and that, that evolved. Like this, this is a topic. Like, why don't we talk about this as much as we do? Oh, I know. And you're right. Particularly for mothers, there's often a whole big change in the way they see themselves. Um, one of my oh, really kind of, I guess, little bugbears or areas of interest is the way that we as a society perceive women who are sexual and women who are mothers and how we don't really see the two of them oh my goodness, as compatible. Yes. Gosh, I never even realized that, but oh my God, yes. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's so much. And, and you know, often when, when we are growing up, where we've, you know, certainly I came from a household where sex was not openly discussed. Whenever, you know, the, the few times I, I heard it talked about was one like really awkward reading of the Where Did I Come From book. Like my mum was like, I can tell she'd like obviously been psyching herself up to come and read it to me. And it was all just really awkward. Um, you know, and another time I overheard my mum talking to her friends about how they could avoid sex. And so because we're not taught how to talk about sex, we're not often not taught that it's okay to talk about sex um, and relationships as well. We mm. kind of assume that we should just know how to do them. Um, and we, we can also assume that everyone else has it together in their relationships and sex lives. And, and often um, when we are experiencing challenges, we feel like we're the only ones and, and feeling like that and not feeling like, anyone else talks about it or that it's okay to talk about it or sometimes even knowing that there are people that you can go to to talk about it really I think stops us um, stops us perhaps reaching out stops us talking about what's going on for us as well yeah no absolutely kind of like you said sort of feeling quite isolated that nobody is having the same issue there's something wrong with me I need to just you know be quiet and hope it goes away but something that I'm, I'm intrigued and this might be a really silly question so if it is I kind of apologize in advance would you no say silly questions <laughs> would you say that this is more of a western issue because you're referring to tantra and you're talking about like eastern philosophy mm. is this more predominantly an issue in the western world that we don't speak about sex and sort of desire and pleasure Look, absolutely not. I, I wish I could say that it was. Um, there's, you know, although Tantra originated um, in the East and we have, you know, Tantra and Taoism and things like jade eggs that have come from the East, from countries like India and China, um, that a lot has changed in the thousands of years since, um, you know, since Tantra was really openly practiced in India. I, um, I see clients from all over the world in my practice. All of my coaching is done online. So, um, you know, I have had clients from Saudi Arabia. I've had clients from India. I've had clients from, you know, various parts of Europe as well as, as the West. Um, and even here in Australia, we will often see um, people who've immigrated from other countries where you know, sex also isn't openly talked about. Um, you know, India, Pakistan, China, 
uh, it, it's not openly talked about there either. So we, I actually see clients from um, countries and cultures like that as well. Well, that's really interesting. Why, mm. why do you think, and this might, again, this is a really big question, but why, why don't we talk about this topic? Like I'm obviously, I knew that I was speaking to you today. So I was sort of, you know, sat here before we, we got on the call together, just kind of really appreciating how much of a taboo this topic is. Mm. And something that, kind of came up for me as I was thinking about it is when I imagine or maybe kind of years ago before I was you know doing my own work on myself but that kind of image of a woman who is truly in her sexual power who is owning it who is using it who's in control it's kind of like that fearful image isn't it it's like we're almost scared of being that woman does that make sense a hundred percent a hundred percent it is it is amazing that that a woman fully in in her sexual power can be perceived as scary and and for a lot of women that I end up working with they're afraid what will happen if I let this woman out like what will happen if I really get in touch with that desire and start to express it and I think there's a whole lot of cultural things that um that go on that contribute to that and um you know I spoke earlier and you I kind of saw your face light up as we mentioned like that the difference between sexual women and women who are mothers. And this kind of um, seeming dichotomy exists in our major religions, that women are either perceived as wholesome and non-sexual and as good mothers, or they're perceived as um, um, kind of demonic mm. in some ways. And that, you know, um, Eve, who wouldn't listen and wouldn't obey, then um, caused all of these challenges and you know Mary Magdalene the way that she is perceived as well so women who are perceived as sexual I think there is something scary um, about the power of, yeah. of that and so there you know I guess from my perspective there's been a lot of suppression of that and that we often suppress our own sexuality perhaps because we're fearful of what that might mean. Absolutely. So actually kind of switching that back on again, and you, you mentioned then about suppression of the feminine, that is mm. arguably kind of what we're talking about, isn't it? It's like we've been conditioned through generations, through culture, through religion, through society, that it's not okay to, to have that part of us and therefore we should suppress it and pretend it's not there. Absolutely. And, and even from that kind of more modern Western perspective, we often have this idea that women have lower sexual desire than men or that they're not as sexual as men and actually from what we're starting to discover biologically that isn't true at all it's actually potentially the opposite that women lose interest faster that they get bored faster and that they can actually have more desire but our cultural constructs kind of lead us to think women should have less desire they don't have very much of it at all um, and that it's about pleasing men. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I mean, how true is that? When you think about the generations gone by, um, it's kind of like sex was probably seen as just a way of making babies, wasn't it, for women? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So can we come back to the topic that we mentioned earlier about permission? Because yes. I'm guessing, and maybe the listeners are kind of picking up on this now, that really what we want to talk about, what you want to talk about, is how we as women can now start to give ourselves the permission and actually allowing ourselves to begin to not only explore this topic, but actually to start enjoying it as well. So where does permission come in? Yeah, so permission for me is really one of the first steps that we give ourselves permission to 
to start exploring this area. And as you said, permission to enjoy it. Um, because so often there can be a guilt with feeling pleasure, um, wanting sex, not wanting sex. So actually for us to give ourselves permission to, to start to discover what it is that we really want around it and permission to, yeah, ask for, um, explore what it is that we might really want and what would bring us the most pleasure possible as well. It's so interesting as you're sort of talking about this and I'm sort of thinking about the work that I do um, with, with my women and that sort of lack of permission, it seems to run through so many topics when it comes to women. It's just that, you know, that kind of belief that we shouldn't ask and we shouldn't have desires and it's not okay and we should feel ashamed and we should feel embarrassed. And it's kind of, it's actually quite overwhelmingly obvious when we talk about it, how much of an issue this is. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and you might find this in your work, but I know I certainly find it in mine um, that as we start working on women giving themselves permission to feel pleasure in the bedroom, to ask for their needs to be met in relationship, to voice what it is they want and don't want in the bedroom, they find that that impacts other areas of their life as well. They'll start to speak up more at work. They'll start to change their life so that they become more of a priority. And it's more about, um, you know, them taking care of their own needs, of course, doing things for other people as well, but they start to become more of a priority. So they start to feel more fulfilled, more energized, happier, and more confident within themselves as well, because they're seeing and experiencing themselves differently. Absolutely. And I think also just that realization, and we've said this so many times already in this interview, it's like this topic can't really be ignored because even though, you know, women that are like, oh, well, it's not that big of an issue, but maybe, you know, their sex life isn't where they want it to be, or maybe their relationship isn't how they want it to be, but they're just kind of accepting it, I guess. It's impacting everything without them realizing how much it's impacting. Yeah, it, it is. And it, and it can. Um, I often say to women, you know, because I, I often hear that from women. Oh it's, oh, it's just not important to me. I wish I didn't have to think about it. But firstly, I mean, if it's important to a partner that we're with, it becomes important to the relationship and so important to us as well. If it's not important, if it's genuinely not important to either of you, like fantastic, forget about it. But if it is important to one of you, it becomes important um, to the relationship. And it was just um, last weekend, I was um, speaking at an event here in Australia um, about desire and intimacy and how we keep them ignited in a long-term relationship. And a woman came up to me afterwards um, to, to thank me because she said, I have been telling myself and believing that it's not important to me um, and that, you know, I don't care if we, you know, if we never really have a sex life again. But she said, actually, I really have to acknowledge to myself that this is something I want, I, is something I want for myself. And even though it feels hard and even though there's a part of me that wants to avoid it, it actually is important to me as well. And I was so heartened to hear that. Um, it's often the point that I get to when I'm working with women in coaching where they kind of say, actually, 
this is something that I want to change for myself. Um, But to hear someone say that after just a short talk, um, I was so happy for her to make that realization. Absolutely. Again, giving her permission to realize that that's what she does desire and it's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. And that's okay. (laughs) Yes. So um, something that I want to ask you, and I'm going to, I'm sort of saying it now, so putting myself on the line. This is, um, whenever I interview people and they've got a topic which is of so much interest to, I know the listeners, but also to me as well. Mm. When, you've, when you've already said about giving themselves permission to start exploring this topic, now again, it might be a silly question, but how do we start exploring a topic that we have perhaps shame around or maybe it's still a taboo or maybe we've been brought up to think that it's not okay or you know all the thousands of other reasons that we've already touched on how do we start to explore this topic Mm. I, I love that question because it's true we can feel so overwhelmed and and even um you know, particularly if we're feeling um, challenges or issues in the area, it's like, oh my God, where do I even start? Like, how do I even start to do this? One of the um, places that I think can, can be helpful is to actually to come back to some of what I was mentioning earlier. So, okay, what was I taught about sex in my household, from my religion, from my parents? So that we're starting to understand some of the beliefs that we might have that might be going on, even if they're those subconscious beliefs running in the background. So on the surface, we might believe, oh, you know, I know it's okay for me to enjoy myself sexually. And, oh, I know that sex is an important part of a healthy relationship. But when we start to look at, oh my God, what was I taught about this? We start to see what else might be going on under the surface. And often when we do that, we can be more gentle with ourselves instead of, oh, you know, I'm just, um, I'm trying to think of some of the words that women say to me, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm uptight or I just, you know, can't let go during sex or, you know, I know that this is my fault and there's something wrong with me. It's like, no, there is nothing wrong with you. It's about all of these things that you have been taught. They're contributing to what's going on. So for someone who might be wanting to, you know, to start exploring this, just looking at what have I been taught about sex? What have I been taught about my body as well is a really big one and and so contributes to how we experience ourselves sexually. We can also start looking at what was I taught and not usually from being told, but from what I saw of my parents or caregivers what have I been taught about relationships and how they're supposed to work? Um, that often gives us a lot of insight into how we are and, and how we're showing up and gives us a place to start exploring this a little bit more. Absolutely. Got some amazing tips there. I'm taking a mental note. I'm going, right, I'm going to start doing this myself. <laughs> but seriously, though, as you're talking, um, and again, I don't want to kind of make a massive assumption now, but kind of using my my personal experience like I was brought up Catholic we went to church every Sunday I went to a Catholic school um, and I know like from a um, I suppose from an upbringing point of view my upbringing was very normal like my friends were exactly the same mm-hmm. and you know my my parents and my parents parents and my grandparents it was a taboo subject like it was it was still spoken about but not in the kind of the open sense of like we sat down around the table and we just spoke about it and it was okay. It was more like if I had questions, I was okay to ask them. 
but there was that kind of, oh, I don't want to ask my mum any questions about that because there was that disconnect, which is, it's kind of sad in a way to sort of recognise that that was just sort of normal. Absolutely. And, and when I ask people the question of how was sex spoken about in, in your household, so often I get, oh, it wasn't. Um, and, you know, and so that teaches us something in and of itself. You're right. Like, even if we feel like we can go to talk about someone, there are often these implied messages because of how we um, see other people re relating to sex. Oh, absolutely. Um, mm. I want to ask you off the back of that then, just kind of picking up on something that you've said. I've already mentioned I'm a mum. I know there's going to be lots of mums listening. So my children are eight and five, so they're still relatively young. But I'm already quite conscious, and my husband as well, that we don't want to bring our children up in that mm. same situation of where sex is a taboo. We don't talk about it. It's something that, you know, it's like we keep it at arm's length. What's the right time to start engaging in these conversations? So um, this is a, I think this is a really big topic and one that I'm also quite passionate about. Age appropriate conversations at every age. So actually right from when you're teaching children different words for their body parts. You know, so we teach them this is a head, this is a hand, this is a finger, this is an elbow, but this is a pee pee or this doesn't have a name. This is a a flower or, a, you know, we, we come up with all these kind of different words and then they, they know, oh, there's something kind of different ab about that area. And there's, you know, there's nothing wrong with having those names for them, but so that we're actually teaching them the anatomically correct yes. terms as well is really important for giving them the sense of, oh, this is a normal part of my body. There's also a safety issue, which with teaching children, um, how to actually name different parts of their body as well. So it starts from all the way back then that we're not um, ignoring the genital area when we're teaching children about their, their bodies. Children will quite naturally um, start to explore their bodies from a very young age. We know that males get um, erections in utero um, as you know, children start discovering their body parts, they start discovering all of their body parts yeah. and they start experiencing a pleasure from, from those body parts. We you know, may not understand what that pleasure is to them, but um, every, every now and then it seems to come in waves actually of I'll get um, you know, some parents or, or clients kind of asking me my you know my three-year-old won't stop touching herself or you know my my little boy is you know doing this how do we stop it what's wrong has something gone on and and it's actually it's really normal behavior for children to um to start exploring themselves in in that way and often um what we can do is oh stop that you know that's that's wrong that's bad and um or we move their hands away or we look away from them when they start exploring that part of their body and that's um, a teaching of shame that there's something wrong with that. Of course, we don't let children um, touch themselves or explore in all different situations, but to be able to say, that's totally okay, that's really normal. Everyone masturbates and it's okay because it feels really good. It's a way that you can comfort yourself. It's a way that you can help yourself relax or just a way that you can bring yourself pleasure. 
but there's a time and a place for that. And that's something that you have to do in private is a very different conversation than don't do that or there's something wrong with you for doing that. No, absolutely. So these, yeah, these conversations start from actually when they're very young and kind of based on your child's, um, their, their kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Their, their emotional capacity and development as well. You know, each, each child will be slightly different in that. Um, there are some great resources, um, and I've spoken about this quite, quite a lot as well, actually, of, you know, the different phases, teaching them about their body, um, teaching them to have autonomy over their body, teaching them about masturbation, um, then starting to teach them, you know, the basics of reproduction and, and then going into detail as, you know, they start to be able to comprehend that or as they start asking questions as well. I interviewed someone actually on my podcast a while ago who, um, whose um, stepson had found her tampons in the bathroom and was kind of asking, oh, what are these? And, um, you know, she said, oh, well, you know, we told you about, you know, how women, you know, once a month, well, this is what I use for that. And he just was like, oh, okay. And that, that was it. There was no, um, I love the way she, yeah. she told it because he was like, oh, okay, thanks. Like there was no shame or discomfort from him, but he was like, yep, that's enough information. Thanks for that. Um, but also that he will know that he can come to them with those kind of questions in future. I think that's so important, isn't it? Kind of establishing that connection very early on um, that it's okay to talk about these conversations, which is obviously what we're saying. But something that I noticed though, as you were explaining that, and obviously I'm thinking about what we do with our children at the moment, it's, it's about diffusing that shame, like, so that it's not there. Because if we have any kind of shame around our body and around, like you said, exploring it and enjoying it, that can stay with us for like such a long time that it has massive impact on relationships, on how we see ourselves, on self-esteem, on self-worth. And, and I can really appreciate that it's so important that we remove the shame from this topic as quickly as we can. Absolutely. And how, how we are in that conversation with our children, you're right, it has such a big impact on that. If it's not a big deal for us, they will learn that it's not uh, a big deal either. And as you said, they'll know that they can come to us and, and keep asking those questions that are important. It's important for their life going forward. And it's also important for their safety in the shorter term. Absolutely. So yeah. I could talk to you about this for hours and hours and hours. So I might need to bring you back on the show and we can talk about a different tangent of this topic um, because we are going to be wrapping up in a moment. But before we do, have you got any sort of last, last minute sort of advice or suggestion or, you know, something that you really want to share with the audience about this? So we, we know from research that there are two things that are really important to keeping a relationship healthy and passionate um, and really alive in the long term. One is staying good friends and the second is making sex a priority. You know, amazing sex and a good sex life doesn't just happen by itself, even though, you know, we can often feel like it, it should or there's something wrong if it isn't. Um, it doesn't. It's, you know, like any other part of our relationship, it needs our attention, um, often us learning some extra tools or skills or just finding some information or just giving it a little bit more time 
for it to really thrive. So, um, yeah, feel like sex is a priority in your relationship and know that if you're experiencing challenges in it, it's absolutely normal and there is support available. It's a really important part of your relationship. Absolutely. And that prioritizing, I think everybody, like mother or otherwise, can recognize that sometimes it's just not a priority, is it? It's like everything else comes first and then if there's time, but actually what you're saying is it kind of should be the other way around. Absolutely. Um, you know, and we, we do, you know, particularly as women, we have that hierarchy. It's, you know, everyone else and then comes my relationship and then and comes us. But you know, we have more to give to those around us when we're putting ourselves first. And our relationship is the glue that holds our family together. It's the backbone of our family. Sex is an important part of that. So making that a priority, making time for it, giving time to it becomes really important. And then from there, you know, so many times couples will tell me, you know, the kids seem to get along better. The kids are happier when we are everything just flows a little bit more easily when we're doing really well together. Absolutely. And that's yeah. Very, very useful information there. Again, mental note made. So um, where can we find you out there in the big wide world on the internet? Yes. Yeah, so my website, www.asaya-mckimmy.com, you'll find it by searching my name, has a lot of resources, um, my podcast, free ebooks, a whole lot of um, articles on there. You can also connect with me um, on Instagram where you'll find me at Asaya McKimmy Sexologist. Awesome. Well, listen, thank you so much for having a chat with us today. And I know that's going to have got quite a lot of the listeners, myself included. It's like the brain's ticking and I'm like, okay, I need to have a think about this. <laughs> so thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of your day. See you later. Such a pleasure. Thank you. Bye. So there you go, gorgeous. Another episode brought to you by The Hungry Soul. Now, if that conversation has got you a little bit curious about your own journey right now and how perhaps you can start helping yourself to become more self-fed, but maybe you've got no idea where to start or what that might even mean for you, don't panic. We've got some fabulous gifts for you that are all completely free. All you need to do is head over to soulfedwoman.com forward slash free dash resources. And over there, there's workshops, handouts, meditations, and loads of other goodies. So go and grab as many of them as you want to. Can't wait to speak to you soon. Bye.